0: More info. Now, enjoy the show. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every
1: night. Broadway it is live after all. It is live. Broadway. I
2: mean, we do it all. But, you know, we don't, we don't back away from anything.
0: Welcome to Broadway Bullet. Volume 109, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got a lot of great stuff for you this week. We've got Celia Keenan-Bolger, Tony nominated for Spelling Bee, and Ryan Driscoll in the studio to talk about the newly released, long-anticipated soundtrack for Summer of 42, written by David Kirschenbaum and Hunter Foster, both prior guests on the show. We've also got exclusive in-studio performances from the kind of alternative musicals, uh, Trophy Wife and... Um, Curse of the Mystic Ronaldo, and we're going to be hearing a very special thing from a new project, a half-hour sitcom called Breaking In, that every one of you can access because it's on the web. Well, let's not waste any time. On the web. Anyone who's pursuing a career in entertainment knows it's all about Breaking In, and that is the title of a new half-hour comedy show that's being developed surrounding the musical theater world. And developing the show is former guests, in fact, they're on the very first episode with their musical White Noise, our creators Ryan Davis and Joe Dramala here in the studio with us. How are you doing? Hi. Hey. Okay, so what is the deal here with Breaking In? And I should say that...
3: This is something all of our listeners will be able to access, wherever they are. Absolutely. Uh, well, breaking in, uh, it, it, we kind of developed from our experiences working in Off-Off Broadway Theater and Fringe Theater in New York, and uh, we wanted a project that we could get the entire theater community together on, and something that people could see all over the country, all over the world, and not just be limited to, you know, if you're in New York. So this is something that's available for free to everyone on the Internet.
1: Right. So it's a backstage comedy that is about kind of every show that you wish you didn't have to do and every bad director that you've ever worked with and just all of the the hellish experiences that every actor kind of goes through when they come to the city and they think they're going to make it big. And they have to do all these these terrible little musicals. So this is about that world. It's kind of the office uh, or the extras set in off-off Broadway theater.
3: But when he says Off Off Broadway Theater, uh, you know, we're, we're also kind of venturing into, you know, anybody in New York theater. We, in our second episode, we're, we're at, we have Bob Cuccioli, who, of course, is a Tony nominee for Jekyll and Hyde. And we also have Ewan Morton, who's a Tony nominee for Taboo. So we're really bringing in people who, you know, are well-known and respected in theater to kind of, like... You know, lend you kind of like kind of you know make fun of themselves in the way that the, you know Patrick Stewart did on extras and Ian McKellen did on extras. So it's definitely in that world. you will have to do like a show in the studio here where your guest is trying to get on
0: Broadway. Bullet <laughs> <laughs> done.
1: It's, 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 it's absolutely going to happen. I mean, I don't know why we didn't think of it before. <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're offering this for free, right? Absolutely. Of course. And what, through YouTube? and Yeah, it's available uh, on our website, breakinginblog.com, as well as over YouTube, MySpace, Google Video, and iTunes. So it'll be available almost any way you want to view it.
0: Giving away is free is definitely nice, but I do have to say, what, what are you looking at? Is is there somebody who's putting up the money, I'm sure, he's looking down the road to see if there's a financial upside to this? and
3: <sighs> Are are you seeing what the Yahoo and Google people aren't yet? <laughs> well, you, you know, we we have a, a really uh, smart uh, producer behind this, Mitchell Maxwell, who's producing uh, White Noise off Broadway this fall, and uh, he just really kind of believes in new technology and new talent and wants to help us get out there. So it's it's you know, uh, with his help that we're doing this.
1: Yeah, uh, but I mean, really, we really just hope that we're we're going to be seen by a lot of members of the theater community in doing this, and 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 create. You know, we want to create a show that's going to be. Something that everybody has to watch every month. And the episodes are going to come out once a month. The first Sunday of every month is when, uh, when each new episode is going to come out, starting April 1st.
3: Yeah, and we're doing uh, six episodes a six-episode season the exact way they do it in the BBC, like in the office and stuff. So we have guaranteed six episodes. What kind of inspired the thought to put together the show? <laughs> I mean, we had been r- raking up so many crazy experiences and, and we just kind of wanted a way to talk about it. And we started talking to our friends, uh, Eric Svekar, who's another executive producer on the show, uh, Jeffrey Self, people like that, and they all had these experiences and so we really wanted right. to... Right,
1: as, as everybody does I'm sure. Everybody who's ever worked in theater has has uh, like all kinds of nightmare stories and so there's a million plot lines that we that we are playing around with and it's, the, the problem is just selecting which ones we're going to use because there's so many great horror stories. And
3: would be great to give people who are not in New York a glimpse into what it's like to be yeah. in your early 20s trying to break into exactly. New York theater. It's a very unique experience that we, we want to share with the world. Now, is there a cast of regulars in here? Absolutely, we have a terrific cast um, of, of regulars. Uh, uh, Justin Lamb and Brandon Bales play the two leads, and they're, they're, they come from really like the improv world of New York. Uh, Justin's actually a really respected improv guy in uh, San Francisco, and uh, we have uh, Jeff, Jeff Killer, Hiller, also
1: who, an improv comedian here in New York at UCB all the time.
3: But he's also known for his theater work. Uh, he was in the Children last year at uh, Nymph when he was he yep. won uh, one of the performance awards there, so he's he's kind of well known for that and uh, Tracy Shimo and uh, who else do we got? Lindsay Wolf. Lindsay Wolf, who's fantastic. Yeah, these, I mean, we have a really great kind of cast of uh, characters. Steve Sislin, who composed Slut the musical, is also helping us out, uh, playing a reoccurring character. So. Now, is there some original music taking place in the sure. shows, too? If sure. it's around the Absolutely. Um, Joe uh, wrote a song called uh, uh, Punkahawa for the first episode. <laughs> That's right, I did. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Eric Spakar, who uh, wrote the musical Caligula at the Nymph and was the original music director of uh, J- uh, Jock Burrow. I uh, wrote, uh, wrote a song that Ewan Morton will sing uh, with Lindsay Wolf in the second episode called Blood is Thicker Than Wine from the musical The Lost Boys. Right.
1: The main characters are developing this musical called The Lost Boys based on the movie The Lost Boys, which they've been developing for seven years and they still don't have a script, but they use the show to get dates with attractive people by offering them roles. And so that's pretty much how it goes for them. Which is not based in any way on reality. No, we, we would never, we we would never, would never do, do
0: that. that. No. <laughs> now, on a different note slightly, like you were on our very first episode with White Noise and Nymph. And before Nymph was even officially over, the ink had dried
3: on a, a deal to move that. And do you think that's happening this coming fall? Absolutely. We just had a, a fantastic uh, reading a couple weeks ago at Chelsea Studios. And we're gearing up for a workshop uh, this summer. And we're shooting for a fall opening off Broadway, uh, for sure. Yep. What kind of pace is the producer putting you through? There's some rewrites and stuff happening. There? Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of good ideas, and I mean, it's been a really collaborative process. Uh, we're we're happy to work with somebody who is got some experience behind him, and he and we we feel like we have a really good rapport. Totally, yeah. And
1: he's putting a lot of trust in us too, which is great. You know, we're a little younger than other people.
3: He's definitely, uh, you know, one of the gutsiest producers in New York to have. You know, a 24 year old directing off Broadway. It's pretty exciting. Who's going to be directing the show again? Me. Oh, you're Darcy. You're staying director (laughs) of White Noise.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Creator, conceiver, uh, and director of White
0: Noise. I tried to get
1: him fired.
3: (laughs) I
0: definitely am am excited about that. I hope you'll come on again. Oh, we'd love love to. When that's getting closer in. In the meantime, again, it's breakinginblog.com. Breakinginblog.com.
1: Can we just talk for a moment about the the screening?
0: Ah, yeah. We're taping this before the, the first screening. But um, it's going to air after the right, first screening. Right, right, right. But let's uh, talk about. I guess you're going to keep
3: screening them, though. So yeah, um, we we we're really excited uh, We're screening the show at New World Stages in New York, and everybody and everybody to come for free. It's a 500 seat theater, and we would love to have you come down. But uh, also, we're screening it at about 40 colleges around the country simultaneously. So uh, it, it's literally being debuting around the country uh, on Sunday, April 1st, in uh, in a way that television hasn't really been done before. I think. How how are you doing that with Setting it up around the country.
1: Well, what we're doing is um, we've contacted diff- uh, you know, a bunch of students at all these different schools, and they're all hosting their own breaking in parties. And the person who hosts the biggest one, you know, uh, via evidence, uh, you know, by p- pictures on the internet and things like that, the person who hosts the biggest party is going to be a cameo. What's up? Use doobies? Is we don't know. We don't know anything about, him. I don't about know what, it. I don't know what you're talking about. I want to be invited to that party for sure. So the but the, but the student who hosts the biggest party, the biggest breaking in party, gets a cameo on the season finale. So
3: we're going to fly him down. They're going to get down to New York to uh, to be in the, the finale. So it's, totally. it's definitely a cool opportunity. So there's people hosting all over the country. So we're excited about that. Yeah, so if you missed the first screening, you can definitely catch down the next screening. Uh, do you know what date that's going to be in Well, the it's
1: going to be the first Sunday in May. Yeah,
3: we're, we're, the first Sunday in every month is when we're doing the, the uh, launch parties. Yep. So, so a screening
1: followed by a big, splashy cocktail party afterwards at New World.
3: And you can always visit Breaking in, uh, BreakingInBlog.com for information on totally. that. Well, it sounds like another exciting project. Was this your first TV or you know Film Warrior project? <laughs> it, it's, it's it's the second. It's Ryan's
1: yeah. second. It's my first.
0: Yeah. So was it harder than you thought? I mean, I'm sure the idea
3: was, oh, let's do it. But did it end up being like a little bit more in-depth than you thought it was going to be? We had a, we had an unbelievable time filming it. I mean, we, we literally got to work with like our best friends for two was, weeks yeah. on this project. So it was it,
1: really fantastic.
3: It was it was it wasn't easy, but it was while while it was you know it was totally fun working with it. It was,
1: and we were able to do it for under three thousand dollars the first episode, and you know we used all people kind of on the same level as we are, um, young up and coming crew, young up and coming. They're gonna start DP, negotiating the pay kind of raises like immediately. Oh no, dude, there's you
0: know three hundred people at the
1: breaking party at the
0: college. We've had that happen with actors before. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <I'd>, uh, <laughs> I have heard. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Uh, listeners, again, who are curious about White Noise can, again, check up Volume 1. It's still up. And uh, be sure to check out the Breaking In as it unfolds monthly. Absolutely. Thanks for
3: stopping by. Thanks Thank for having you. us here, Michael.
0: The summer of 42 opened off-Broadway in December of 2001 and was indeed a first for many people. Not only was it composer David Kirschenbaum's debut off-Broadway, but two performers, Ryan Driscoll and Celia Keenan-Bolger, made their stage debuts in the show, at least in New York stage debuts, and... The soundtrack has just been recorded and released on J Records. It's in stores and on iTunes. And as a special treat, we have both those original cast members in the studio with us today. How are you guys doing? Hello. Pretty good. (laughs) Well, first, before we get into talking all about your careers and such, uh, maybe for our listeners who haven't heard about you know Summer Forty Two yet, you know, uh, you can let them know a little bit what the story of the show is. And
4: Ryan, right. <laughs> Ryan, being the principal performer, I think can take that question.
0: Um, Summer Forty Two
5: is based on the 1971 movie of the same title. Uh, it's semi-autobiographical. Uh, it is basically the story of Hermie, who's a 15-year-old boy, travels to the fictitious island of Packet Island somewhere in the in uh, New England, in the Atlantic, uh, and he befriends this, this you know, early 30s, late 20s woman whose husband was just shipped off to Japan, I believe, in World War II, and after, you know, a series of events, basically what happens at the end, uh, Dorothy, the woman, learns that her husband was just killed in action, and Hermie is the first one, basically, there who comforts her, and, you know... They spend an evening together. No one really knows exactly what happened. Herman doesn't give exact clues, but we all kind of have an idea, obviously, of of what happened. And kind of Hermie was changed for either the the good or the bad of it afterwards. So it's a beautiful,
0: touching, heartwarming story. Well well done. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even prepare that. (laughs) Celia, you went to school in Michigan and found yourself... Employed pretty much right away? Is it yeah, like, how it was did this an happen? amazing
4: um, turn of events for me because um, I'd heard about David and Hunter, actually, who's the book writer, who is primarily known as an actor, a really good actor and singer. Um, but he, Hunter and David, were really close in college and moved to New York, and as Hunter pursued a career in acting and David pursued a career in writing, they decided to come together on this piece and see if they couldn't write a musical. And I graduated in 2000, and um, when you go to the University of Michigan you do a senior showcase at the end of your four years in New York. And David and Hunter happened to come and see the showcase that I was performing in, and I think David must have called my agent at the time and said, you know, we've written this musical, and why doesn't she come in an audition? And, um, I got the part. And so there, um, you know, just like a couple weeks after graduating or maybe a month, I got to go to the Goodspeed Opera House with these two other Michigan graduates and um, get my first job, you know, right out of college, which was... Really lucky. I
0: have to say, how did you already have an agent in college? <laughs>
4: well, you know, what happens <laughs> is call. when you do these showcases is you get interest in the agents and casting directors and, you know, whoever wants to come shows up. And actually through that showcase, I got an agent. And so it was that, that showcase was good for lots of things. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> and Ryan, you were still in high school when you started this project, correct? I was. Yes, it was the uh, it was
5: the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. I was the famous story that everyone tells. I was an I was an usher at the Goodspeed Opera House, and uh, there was there was an open casting call at their rehearsal studios in East in East Haddam. I grew up about ten minutes away from East Haddam, Connecticut, uh, and my voice teacher at the time saw the ad in the the Hartford Current, the local paper, and and you know told me to go down and just audition for it. And I'd never really. I was interested in music theater, but always thought I was never going to do anything like that. I was always, you know, going to be a music teacher. I was going to be this and that and never thought anything about it and went down and auditioned. And suddenly they're asking me to go to callbacks in New York City and have to go to Chelsea Studios, where <laughs> that's a world of difference. And uh, went down and, and and got the part. And it was... Uh, it was quite the summer, and it, you know, obviously it it turned into a few years of it, and finished my senior year of high school, deferred a year from New York University where I was accepted uh, to uh, to do the off Broadway run, and it was quite something being, you know, just a junior slash senior in high school at the time. So,
4: I thought, you know being fresh out of college i was this like spring chicken that was you know so young and ready to take over you know the new york scene and i got cast in summer of 42 just the oldest kid (laughs) in the whole thing i was like oh looks like i'm not really so young actually (laughs) so it was it was such an amazing group of people especially because everyone was so young the sort of enthusiasm and um in a new musical you're constantly rewriting and adding new material and Everyone was just so game, including myself. Like, I think now I wonder if I would have been so resilient. And everyone was just, you know, really excited to be a part of this piece and and willing to basically, you know, put anything out there, Um, which is, you know, a very lucky situation to find yourself in when you're working on a new musical.
5: I think what's interesting about it now is that after after listening to the recording a few times now, while it's not... Well, it's not that long ago. It was almost, you know, seven years ago. And you look back, and I mean, I was 16 years old at the time. I mean, I, I didn't know what the heck was ha- was going on around me. And I think what was so great, you know, just to, as a tangent on what what Celia said, is that there was, it was more so this idea of of instinctual acting as opposed to. And I'm not saying either Celia or I are very old, or you know, have these enormous careers but at the same time you know we've also been through some more things now we're like oh i don't know if i want to do this or oh god we got to learn another song and at the time we were just like let's do it let's do it let's do another song david you know david and hunter were constantly pumping out new things and i think because of the age and the like celia said the enthusiasm that was going on at the time it, we were all so excited to be doing something and and you know like seal said it was it was a wonderful experience at the time
0: Before we go much further, let's maybe let listeners have a taste of one of the songs from the soundtrack. Uh, Celia, I believe you lead this song, so do you want to set this one up?
4: It's funny, just when you were talking about, when we were talking about all of this new material, I actually think that this song was Kate Grant's idea. It was? That we were, there was a scene with boxes where Hermie comes over to Dorothy's house to to help her put away boxes for the summer. And um, it was a scene that was always funny and enjoyable but it like needed this extra bump and I think it was Kate's idea to, who played Dorothy in the off-Broadway version that she said you know you should musicalize this. So and throughout the show um, there are these three girls that sort of serve dual purposes as you know friends of Hermie and his two best friends but also sort of are the voice of the time period and um they come in as a sort of like fantasy Uh, sequence in this uh, particular song, and we're all sort of dressed like Dorothy and our Hermes idea of what this whole moving of the boxes scene could become. And it's called Man Around the House.
0: All right, let's take a listen. Talk a little bit about both of your post careers. To so start with you, Ryan, how difficult of a choice was it for you to decide to go back to school after doing off Broadway? It, uh, to be completely honest, it was extremely hard.
5: Uh, I'm glad the decision I made, obviously, but at at the time, Summer 42 closed. I was, you know, I was, I was a lead in an off Broadway show. I mean, it was great. And at, as an, you know, I was 18. I was like, I have the world at my fingertips. Why would I want to go to school? Let's just keep going. And God bless my parents and and all my friends. They said you are going to school whether you like it or not. And uh, obviously, like I said, it was the best thing I ever did to go to, to go to school and and you know keep learning about the craft and and grow up basically. But um, but it was rough at the time. It, it was rough to to know that this thing that I had worked two years on and and uh, had so much fun doing to finally. End and have to finally move on to another chapter of my life.
0: It was rough. Well, NYU also—they don't like you doing projects outside of the school while you're going to school, do they?
5: I wouldn't necessarily say that's true. I think the program that I graduated—I didn't—I didn't go to, to the Tisch School. I—I I, uh, I got a voice degree from the Steinhardt School. Uh, I
0: have actually seen a couple things there. I think the program is very underrated.
5: <laughs> yeah, they, we we do very good things. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm very, you know, but um, I wouldn't necessarily say they discourage it. But but they do make, you know, they do want you to work on on your college career at the moment. And they they want... Because I think a lot of the time, they also know that if you leave, you may not come back just because other things might start happening. So basically, their advice is try to stay in school, basically. Because if you leave, you may not come back. And it's always good to have the degree. So, um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say they discourage it, but they they try to keep you around. They try to keep you around. And
0: you've graduated now, right? I graduated last May. Yes. Now, you, did you find taking that time off out of, after doing a lead off broadway you know were the agents still receptive to you coming back in and getting ready to look for some more work
5: yeah i mean i was lucky
0: when i when i finally decided to make the decision to go
5: to to start college i decided i at least want to take a few years and just focus on school and not, and not do anything else i actually made a constant conscious, conscious decision just to not worry about anything else and i was lucky enough to be cast in you know quite a few roles at nyu at the steinhardt school and uh my junior year, I played uh, Leo Frank in Parade, and uh, I actually was able to, uh, I actually signed with an agency af- through that show. They saw me there. So, so luckily, agents were fairly receptive and, you know, obviously studying in New York City, you obviously have the benefit of having the industry right at your fingertips the entire time. So I was lucky enough to, uh, to still kind of keep my foot in the door a little bit.
4: The other thing Ryan isn't telling you is that he has, like, a lot of abilities outside of just being a musical <laughs> theater performer. And I remember when we first met doing Summer 42, he was like, no, I think I'm going to be a conductor. And I was like, remember when you were starring in an off-Broadway show, but you really want to be a conductor? But then I think going to school is so good as far as when you have all of these other interests and figuring out where your strengths lie and how you sort of... You know, compartmentalize all of these different things. And when I look at you know David, mm-hmm. who was a musical theater um, major to start in Michigan, went to school, realized he didn't really want to be a performer. Sort of dabbled in composing, yeah. sort of dabbled in theory. That you, it's so good to go to college yeah. and get a, a better idea exactly. of what you want to do.
5: And not to plug, not to plug my my department in the program that I graduated from, but that's exactly what I had the opportunity to do getting a, getting a bachelor's of music. I mean, I know I wanted to try acting for a while and do this, but like Celia said, you know, I have higher aspirations of going into higher education and having the bachelor's of music degree is going to help me you know do that in the long run and while i was at school I, I was able to orchestrate a couple projects i was able to conduct a few projects that we were working on and uh meet a lot of people along the way which was really great so so i'm very lucky for that
0: for that program so thank you steinhardt <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit more celia but before we go into that let's play uh, one more song from the show uh, this is one of your big duets. Do you want to set this one up, Ryan? <laughs> this is uh, this is "Someone to Dance with Me," the Act One
5: finale. This is uh, right after basically "Man Around the House" happens. Uh, after poor Hermy is exhausted, after his fantasy of what could happen uh, with Dorothy and him helping her move the boxes, they uh, he notices a picture on uh, on her table of her and Pete, her husband, and uh, they start talking about it. And he realized uh, Dorothy tells him that that picture was the night that they that he proposed. Posed, start talking you know Dorothy starts singing about what it was like to finally find someone and ask ask Hermie, do you have someone like that and, and of course he's so enraptured by Dorothy he doesn't know what to say and and runs out and the two of them are end up singing you know in opposite worlds on stage about finding their someone to dance with them basically so someone to dance with me
2: Would I find a handsome hero who would let me share his life? Oh, it was sweet but scary to wonder where he might be To sit there contemplating a stranger waiting for me Though it seemed all was lost Still I dreamed, fingers crossed And someone to dance with me, someone to sweep me off my feet, wandered into my world, making my soul complete just when I And you feel that way about?
5: Uh, I, I should go.
2: Oh, so soon?
5: I have business to attend to on the island.
6: Oh, well, here, let me give you something for the boxes.
5: I can't. I did it because I like you.
2: That's sweet.
5: I don't like too many people.
2: Well... Thank you, Hermie.
5: Well, I gotta go.
2: Hermie, wait. (laughs) Goodbye, Hermie.
6: Goodbye.
5: Spoken much. Now the girls have got me crazy. I'll be getting back in touch. They make my heartbeat quicken
2: till I'm too chicken to speak. For a glimpse of beauty could leave you. More
5: Someone who let me take the lead Maybe I'm slow to learn But I can pick up speed If it's a fantasy Well, it's the only one I need Take pity on a guy Going out of his mind
2: I'm already behind
5: Help me find Someone to dance with me
2: just one glance. Once your heart begins to soar, like the movies that we've seen all of our lives, no one tells you in advance what the future has in store. Just one dance, but a little bit more
0: Celia, where have you been? <laughs> where hasn't she been? <laughs> oh
4: no!
0: Um, and, uh, we've had we've had listeners request you to come on the show. Does that have anything to do with spelling me?
4: Um, I would think maybe yes. But you know, I do. I say this to David all the time that Summer Forty Two was absolutely a launching pad for sort of, at least in my own mind, of what I wanted, what kind of career I wanted to have in New York, and I think. Having my first experience out of college be a new musical, I sort of decided that that was the route if I, you know, if I could to to follow. And so I was so fortunate. I would, yeah, you know, I think I was just saying to you before Les Mis is the first revival I've ever done. I did, I, I guess, in New York. It's the first revival I did, uh, Sweeney Todd in Washington D.C. But besides that. I've worked um, exclusively on new musicals and have been so grateful to have that as my um, career path. So uh, right after Summer of 42, I just sort of felt like, what's, you know, the next new... There are so many great uh, composers, new composers out in New York right now, and I've been really fortunate um, to work with a lot of them. So um, after Summer of 42, that was sort of how it followed. And it's, you know... You, so often you go out of town with new musicals because New York can be a tricky place to <laughs> put new musicals up on their feet. So just the whole run of Summer of 42 of going out of town first and traveling around and doing the rewrites and then coming into New York, I had this sort of template of, you know, how, what it's like to work on a new show, and, and it's sort of that followed in the years uh, to come after Summer of 42.
0: To me, the definitive moment for you in, in Spelling Bee... Is because your your song your number was near the end of the show, the Mama. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, it broke my. I literally, I'm in the middle of this comedy and it's touching and it's emotional all the way through. But it, you hit that note and it just broke my freaking heart <laughs> <laughs> right away.
4: That song is um, it's so special. I when we we um we started spelling be out of town, uh, in a cafeteria for real in the Berkshires and. Um, I remember Bill Finn brought that song in, and it was written specifically for Lisa Howard, Derek Baskin, and myself. And it was just, there's something, Bill is so, he's so amazing in his abilities to, because, you know, it is this sort of broad, comedic, very sort of character-based writing for all of those, all of the musical numbers. And then you just get this one number that is extremely Um, It starts, you know, really quiet and introverted and just so moving. And all of us, I remember, I had that moment where I thought, I cannot believe I'm in a new Bill Finn show and I'm getting to sing a song like this. You know, it's just, it's a good one.
0: And I understand that you're going to be leaving uh, Les Mis shortly and heading back to L.A.
4: Yes, it seems it's not, (laughs) I'm worried to jinx it, but um, I think uh, it looks like, all of us are going to get together. To, the, the original cast is going to do The Spelling Bee in Los Angeles for one month. So that should be really exciting. It's always so crazy. It's it's similar to what happened with Summer of 42, that you do a project, you go away for it from a long t- for a long time, and then we all came back into the studio and recorded it. And it's amazing sort of what perspective does when you do that when you have time away from the piece and you sort of think oh my god why did i do that the first time around <laughs> um but I, I am really excited because you know i haven't done the spelling bee for almost a year and um just to go back with all of those people who i have such really um strong feelings about and get to do the show again it seems really exciting.
0: This is one of David Kirshenbaum's first things, and uh, he's kind of given us some great news. I, his show Party Come Here, which we featured in the New York Musical Theater Festival series on the show, is getting performed at Williamstown. And
4: and he has, uh, Vanity's actually just... Just
0: uh, won an award, right? Yes,
4: it won two awards. I think he <laughs> won um, for the best uh, score, and the show won the San Francisco Critics Award for Best Musical. And it looks like that show is... Gonna have legs beyond San Francisco because there's yeah, the a big lot of rumors that it's
0: Broadway bound for next season. It so. seems, yes. And I hear Ryan. He's asking how you look in a miniskirt. <laughs> a
4: Ryan would be wonderful in that show.
0: I think, yeah. No. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's amazing though because David was, you know, the Summer Forty Two was sort of the main project for the beginning of his career. He had had, you know, other shows produced, but this was when, you know, when you, when you get a producer and you know a show is New York bound you sort of put a lot of energy into that one show. And now, talking to David, it's like he has, you know, seven different things going on and all of these different writing partners and all of these different pots on the kettle. And it (laughs) makes me so excited just to see, you know, what his next projects are going to be and for, you know, New York audiences to see.
5: Just as a tangent on that, um, back in, I think it was the end of November, David did a concert at Joe's Pub, which I was lucky enough to participate in. And to see... I mean, summer for, like Celia said, summer forty-two was one of his one of his first full scores that he did, and to see the progression of of shows and the progression of his writing and talent over the past you know seven years or so since summer forty-two, and to see what it what it started at and what it's become and the way it's morphed into these all these different these different styles and different genres, it's it's really exciting to see what's what's going to become of him because. Uh, He'll be around for a while, I think. Personally,
4: also, just as a side note, David Kirschenbaum is one of the nicest men <laughs> he's amazing. in show business. <laughs> he is such an incredibly great guy that, um, and I, I feel like you know I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of really wonderful people. But he's just someone who inspires really great behavior, I think, because <laughs> he himself is such a wonderful person.
0: Like so, this project was recorded finally, like. Six years after the fact. So what was it like coming back to the show? How much work did you have to do to catch up on, for recording the soundtrack here? I, I only met, I met with Lynn Shankle, the music director and
5: orchestrator. Uh, I met with Lynn only twice, I think, before we went to the York that day to do, the, uh, to do the concert, and then the recording was the day after. But, you know, it's kind of... While in a certain way it was kind of like riding a bike and just, you know, all of a sudden all these things start coming back to you and it just you know, it's second nature. Like Celia said before, there were times when I was like, my God, why did I do it that way the first time around? I said, what is wrong with you? And, uh, and Perspective is a is a very interesting thing. You know, when I was doing it the first time around, I had no acting training whatsoever, and I was just I was being myself up there. And and this the second time around, I had, while you know some people and me included may think that sometimes the acting training might get in the way at times, it was it was very interesting to have to have a certain amount of years of training behind you now to to look at a piece and learn how to learn how to think of it in a in a different way and, and figure out the best way to get things out there. So it was it was interesting having a few years behind you to uh, to revisit the piece. It was a lot of fun.
4: There's also the way that you when I remember being in the recording studio and thinking, you know, you're sort of revisiting the piece. And so you're you know remembering all of you know the changes that we went through and how the whole piece sort of evolved, and then you're also viewing it through the lens of sort of your personal life yes. <laughs> during that time. And that's it. You know, rarely do we get to sort of look back on our life. And because there are these sounds and these melodies and all of these you know sort of artistic elements that kind of are very evocative, I remember just having it was like going going back in time just for like seven hours that day and <laughs> and revisiting a whole time of my life that just seems like a really long time ago. Um, it's very strange. <laughs> yeah, but it's but so nice to get everybody back together. And I think it's just so important, especially, you know, growing up in Michigan when I was younger and not having all of the resources, certainly, that you have if you're growing up in New York, that recordings are a huge part of your education uh, into musical theater, and that was sort of how I learned about musicals. It was like going to the library and getting CDs and tapes. Um, <laughs> and I just hope that this reaches, you know, some of those people who don't have access to come to New York, that, you know, this recording can sort of serve as a as a little educational piece into, <laughs> you know, the world of new musical theater.
0: And it's quite a lavish, you know, recording. It's the, it's the double disc set, all the music, Um, All
4: the dialogue. It was (laughs)
0: exhausting. (laughs) There's a a 64-page booklet here with everything in it. It's, you know, a lot of great pictures. The entire, basically, script. (laughs) The the, whole libretto is right there. (laughs) So, it's definitely, you know a good education for people who haven't seen the show because they're basically getting to experience the whole thing here. And, Absolutely. And I definitely thank the two of you so much for coming down here to discuss the project with our our listeners. Thanks yeah. for having oh, us. Yes. thank and you. Best of luck in your future endeavors. Thank Thanks. you very much. Again, Summer of 42 was just issued by J Records and is available at Amazon.com, Many Shops, and iTunes. The Call Board. All right, first up, we have a new poll on the website at BroadwayBullet.com. We've been talking quite a bit about how there's so much competition for the best female lead actress in a musical. And, uh, yeah, there's nine major roles up from them. And truthfully, any one of them, you know, in any other year, I wouldn't be surprised if they were the winner. But in this year, four of them are definitely going home unnominated even. So uh, go to the website and click and tell us who you think should definitely get nominated. It'll be, I think, interesting to see before the Tony uh, nominations come out. As for some upcoming uh, short-term events for the call board, we've got an April eleventh live at Lincoln. Tom Jones and the cast of the Fantastics at five thirty p.m. at Barnes and Noble on nineteen seventy-two Broadway. There will be a discussion of the show with the creator and the cast, followed by musical performance and CD signing. Always popular, so make sure you get there early. On April 16th, Seth's Broadway 101, Seth Rudetsky will be offering a masterclass in belting divas and hostile opinions for the Actors Fund. For more info and tickets, check out our website, broadwaybullet.com, and the Volume 109 show notes, which I might add... In the one hundred and nine show notes. Our show notes always contain links to everything we talk about in the show: the interviews, the segments, the news segments, the call board, everything. So you make sure you should check those out. On April sixteenth, Playwrights Horizons Gala. They're featuring Christine Eversall of course, because she's the leading lady for their show that transferred that you know show, Grey Gardens, that we featured here in the season premiere, Volume one hundred and one. For tickets and more information, visit www.playwrightshorizons.org. Also, just want to make one more reminder to everybody, all the aspiring actors and working actors out there that are listening to this program about another great podcast, Everything Acting. Uh, recently, they've had Tracy Toms on from Cold Case talking about things. They've got some great motivational segments like Actor Food. They talk with agents, working actors, and more, and they always give you you know the best motivation and insight you can if you're – you're shooting for this difficult career. It's always nice to get some guidance. So, uh, yeah, Darby and Roz are great, and let them help you through all that. All right, that wraps up this week's call board.
7: On the Boards.
0: The Trophy Wife, being presented at La Mama on April 12th through the 22nd, started off as a play, turned into a play with music, and slowly evolved into what... They're now calling a full musical with 14 songs. We've got the composer and the playwright director with us today.
8: How are you guys doing? You want to introduce yourselves?
9: Hello, I'm Mary Fulham. I'm the playwright director.
8: I'm Terry Waldo. I'm the other thing. What was that <laughs> composer.
9: Yeah. yeah, you're the composer. Musical
8: director. So let's start off by what is The Trophy Wife about?
9: Well, The Trophy Wife is based on a short story by Anton Chekhov, and it tells the story of Anna Pennington, a beautiful 19-year-old girl who marries Mo Schmertz, a middle-aged stuffed shirt for his money, and soon after the wedding, to her horror, she learns that he is a tightwad, and she just she's stuck i mean she's sold herself very cheap and she's it's very upsetting situation so that sort of uh in in its own chikovian way tells tells that tale
0: so i'm curious to find out how this went from being a play to slowly evolving into a full musical well We're i had written yeah it. i had
9: written a draft and then i realized that it, that because of uh my source material it was somewhat archaic because of the choice the, the woman's choice that she the only way she, out of her financial quandary was to get married. I mean initially she does it for all the good reasons. She's trying to save her family from social disgrace and financial ruin, but you yeah, know that's nowadays a, that's
8: all the good reasons <laughs> to get married I think. Yeah, I think you made on all of them.
9: But you know she could you know what's to stop her from getting a job or you know having a career or making a whole bunch of other choices. So I wanted to set it in a time where that wasn't possible. So it's now set in the 1920s New York, which is where Terry Waldo comes in because he's the virtuoso ragtime.
8: 20s. I, I specialize in ragtime and, and music of the 20s, and both playing it and writing in that style. So I mean, I'm just this made me happy as could be <laughs> <laughs> with the. You know, I'm writing my my element here. So I, I mean, it, it. We we sort of we are in the era of the great American songbook, really. Right. Exactly.
9: And and the lyricist is. Uh, Paul Foligno, who um, had done another show for me called Hercules in High Suburbia, and he won the Fringe Overall Excellence Award for Best uh, Music and Lyric. So his lyrics are fantastic and and coupled with with Terry's incredible music and compositions and playing. It's just the cast just stops rehearsing to listen to Terry play. Everything just stops in rehearsal. So it's been really a lot of fun. We've had a great, a fun collaboration.
0: Was the scenario kind of like, oh, we want a couple songs, and then uh, you were going, no, I hear this here, I hear this here. Well, I, it was do-
9: like, I want a couple of songs, <laughs> then I heard a couple of songs, and I said, you know what, we need a lot more of that, because that is so good. We need more and more and more. The so, songs
8: actually came together pretty fast. Paul and I were coming from different ends of the world, Musically, uh, I mean, he's he sort of comes from the folk era right. originally, and and I I tend to want to have songs that have thirty two bars and you know are in the style of the twenties th- and thirties, or or earlier and so forth. But he, we worked that out, and he's and uh, a lot of the material. Mary and I just sat in my living room. She said, "Oh, I need this kind of song. I need this kind of song." Right, in terms pretty, of where the text was, and, and very. I, I think it came together very fast in terms of the original songs uh coming up
9: yeah we just ordered out at chicken ranch and uh you know that's how it happened
0: well I, I i see that you brought
9: sharon ann farrell the fabulous sharon ann farrell who's playing the the role of anna pennington our our heroine with the caveat there i guess but um yeah she's been great she's just a wonderful actress and a wonderful uh wonderful person to work with and a great singer really really was so fortunate
0: and I understand her and Terry are going to perform a couple of the songs here in the studio. For... Yes, they are. We're yeah. very
9: excited about that. Yeah. So uh...
0: we'll render a couple of things here. <laughs> so why don't we do the first one? Let everybody get a sense of this. Do you want to? Does this need any setting up?
9: Well, this is the song that she sings immediately after the wedding. She's getting her, her mother has died um, in the story, and that's when the, the family sort of falls on hard times. So the, the neighbor ladies take it upon themselves to set up this marriage to this middle-aged guy after the wedding. She just. She just hated the whole thing. She it was just the worst wedding she ever could imagine. So this is a, this is her and her plea to her her mother. Most of the songs are sort of interior monologues. So.
10: Mama, if you would have seen my dress, a cheap tacky satin you would not be impressed. Mama it was not a success. Mama, only you could get me out of this mess. You would've mixed these shoes. You would've fixed my hair. You would've told me what to do. If only you'd been there. Everybody says that this is for the best. But Mama, you would've hated my dress. You would have seen right through the old buffoon Mama, I don't want a honeymoon Mama, I don't even want to leave this room For a moment it was clear it didn't last too long I thought it was a good idea, but I was wrong Mama, I don't think I'm gonna speak too soon When I say mama, you would have hated the.
0: All right. I understand that uh, the, the the actor couldn't come in to do one song that was destined for internet play.
9: Yes, yes. <laughs> the official title of the song is the artist song, but it's known uh, as uh, the lyric is eat, sleep, shit, fuck, and die. So it's a bitter artist song, I guess. You,
8: know? you think so? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so obviously, this isn't a straight up twenties ragtime musical, It's with a.
8: Well, yeah, it's it's a bit <laughs> twisted. You know, I, it, it maintains the Chek, Chekhov uh, attitude, I think, which is, which, is, which is very tricky. It's
9: not what I would call a musical comedy. It's a musical, but it's very dark. It, it, it tells both sides of the human story, not just the triumph, but what's on the other side of the triumph, which is uh, why Chekhov is so wonderful, because he exposes the, the human condition so flawlessly.
8: And it's got humor in it, but it's, it's very dark humor and nobody comes off looking well at at uh, at the end at, at the end I mean you see it's hard to identify with anybody in that in that sense because every
9: <laughs> I identify with everyone. Oh, do you? I love all the characters. <laughs>
8: well, I do too, but but they're certainly all very human. It's not one of those things where you have the the uh, hero or heroine that comes out at the end and and either overcomes evil or does not.
9: I also want to emphasize that Terry is playing Trophy Wife live. So and and there's it's sort of music throughout now. It's not once I got him, that was it. You know, he was, it was over for him. So now he's playing She's working me pretty good. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we hear a second song from the show with you and Terry playing for Sharon?
9: Oh, okay. This, this song is called uh, The Light is Shining, and this is... Um, sort of the, the darkest point for our heroine, Anna Pennington, who just feels that they'll, there's, she'll never be happy again. She's trapped in this loveless marriage to, to an old fart, and she'll never, never be happy again.
10: God, it gets so dark in here. It's dim and grim and gray. And I seem to disappear a little bit each day. No one hears me whisper. They ignore me when I shout. I try to bide my time, but I'm afraid I'll flicker out. The fire is still burning. The stars are aligning, they just have to be. The light is still shining for me. Every day in dreary doubt, every night in fear, I tell you what I dream. dream that I'm away from here. The light is still shining. It just has to
0: Right, so they can catch Trophy Wife at La Mama until uh, from the 12th of April to the 22nd of April.
9: Yes, Thursday through Sunday at 7.30 with Sunday matinees at 2.30 and that's at uh, La Mama 74A East 4th Street.
0: Is there an online ticket agent for them?
9: Go to Theater Mania, they they handle it. Or call me at home (laughs) and I'll get you a ticket. (laughs)
0: All right, well, I thank the two of you very much for coming down and Sharon as well for coming in and singing. Thank you. It was fun. It was fun. We had a good time. Best of luck as you get ready for your show.
9: All right, thanks.
10: On the Positive
6: Side. Hey, this is Marty Cooper once again on the Positive Side. I had a great weekend, uh, actually half a great weekend. I worked for 12 hours on Saturday. But on Sunday, uh, I went to one of the three... Encores presentations, Face the Music. In actuality, of all the ones that they were putting on this year, I didn't expect as much from it as I got. It was just kind of a a journeyman cast, great people, great theater people, but what they usually do, they didn't get any of the big star names. It was just our favorite Broadway people, and uh, they were an absolute joy. It's a stupid... 1920s Irving Berlin musical uh, with a stupid plot about an actual police chief using his corruption money from his force to finance a Broadway show. The wife of the police chief is played by uh, uh, Judy Kay. Lee Wilcoff plays the man in question. The show is great fun. One of my favorite people of all were in this, uh, Felicia Finley, who you last saw as the lovely Linda in Wedding Singer. She played, of all things, a streetwalker. A great part for her. As the ingenue male dancer, you had uh, Jeffrey Denman, her last scene in The Producers on Broadway, and also the tour of White Christmas. Meredith Patterson played the lovely, his, his lovely ingenue dancing partner. And two of the greatest dancers on Broadway, Melinda Hull and Eddie Corbett, who we last saw in Drowsy Chaperone. Uh, were kind of the comic dancers, very talented people. One of my favorite numbers in the show was, as I say, my girl Felicia Finley did a thing called Talk Song. Uh, And she says, I'd love to be sitting on a piano or an organ. And it took a while for the audience to get that. (laughs) you got to realize this was written in the 20s. The audiences back then probably didn't get it, you know, but it was a great line. Just great dance numbers, ensemble dance pieces. The story, though, was absolutely stupid, Uh, much like Drowsy Chaperone. Uh, You did need a man in the chair. You know, but the music was wonderful. The great big hit from that show was Let's Have Another Cup of Coffee. Another song, a wonderful song, called Soft Lights and Sweet Music, which turns out to be kind of a, a balletic dance number in the second act. Just wonderful. Love this production. And uh, I'm waiting, I'm wait. Actually, the next encore uh, is going to be a review that Encores is putting on called Stairway to Paradise uh, with Kristen Chenoweth and who's going to be a supporting cast, I don't know at this point. Uh, but of course, in case you haven't heard, and I think Michael told me, mentioned it uh, at, on one of the shows, is that during the summer, for the first time, they're doing a summer at Encores. During the summer, uh, from I think July 9th to July 29th, P- Patti LaPone is going to be taking on Gypsy. That's a role everybody wants to do, and... Uh, I think she'll be great. I don't know her supporting cast yet. I didn't mention Walter Bobby, by the way, who played the, the producer of the show, who had to seek out the money from the, from the said police department. Uh, he was great. I don't know if you remember, if you, if you have an old recording of Grease, he was actually in the original production of Grease. He gave us the wonderful production of Chicago. He was the director of Chicago. He's done a lot of things for Encores. And he was great, great comic takes on everything. Once again, I love the show. If you possibly can, get to Stairway to the Stars, which I think is the first week in May. I think you'll have a great time. When OnCourse puts together reviews, they usually, do, they usually do a great job. Well, once again, this is Marty Cooper saying, stay on the positive side.
0: On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony. Online at ColonyMusic.com or in the heart of the theater district at 49th and Broadway, you can always say, I found it at The Colony.
7: On the boards.
0: Aldo Perez is the writer, co-creator, and composer for The Curse of the Mystic Rinaldo. And he wants you to know that it's not underground. Mm -hmm. It's not underground. How underground can it be when the times is
11: raving you and you're extending, huh? Well, you know, these things are accidental. I, I actually ran into um, the writer for The Times and asked him what was he thinking, uh, writing a review like that. I actually called my mother and said, "Read it." <laughs> so uh, mm, but it's underground, believe me. What was one of your favorite quotes from The Times? Oh, you see now, I, I can't rem- I can't remember those things, uh, but there was something about uh, a rubber chicken being the object of my affection, which does happen.
0: And I guess before you go too much further for our listeners who haven't seen the review or heard about the show yet to wonder what the heck we're talking about. So
11: what is the curse of the mystic Ronaldo? Well, it is a uh, theater piece or a performance art piece um, that is about the murder. Of a uh, an aristocrat, sort of a lowly at the end of his rope aristocrat, who still has the uh, pretensions of, of not opening (laughs) opening the door for himself, or lighting his own cigarettes, or even wiping himself, Uh, and so he imposes on his valet, who um, who stoically deals with him, and of course then uh, oppresses the maid, and they. cavort to, uh, to murder him, and that's what happens uh, in the very first scene. So it's not a mystery as to who killed him, uh, but the mystery is therefore what happens in the moment between death and realizing that you're dead, and perhaps there's uh, a flashing before your eyes, or perhaps you're playing out a, a series of uh, power struggles. And so uh, this is sort of Ronaldo's death dream. Um, and he does die he does deal with uh with god and uh and, and the meaning of life and the pointlessness and uh and truth and lying and uh and he does actually experience a, a a resurrection so there's um there's a lot of themes here that are uh recurrent and there's a grand uh scheme old story that's happening here that's sufic there's very little dialogue in the show yeah we don't speak a whole lot but we do glare at each other you know Just uh, we're always upset that there's other people in our space, uh, meaning us on the stage. So there's uh, just like you would if, you know, your parents weren't talking to each other, but you knew they had a bad fight and they got those, you know, hard stares like all day at the uh, Christmas or Hanukkah.
0: Now, there's some music involved with the show, too, and you're going to actually perform here a couple of the... Songs from the show, but how do how do you, how does the music interact and fit in with the concept of the performance?
11: Well, I, the, the piece kind of generated out of uh, just sort of these anti-singer-songwriter shows that I was doing, where I started uh, wearing a tuxedo and a mustache and and basically being someone else and almost not speaking and uh, playing a piece of Bach with uh, with some like phone conversation over top of it, which I, I, I do in the show. Uh, and I started, you know, these performances kind of grew out. And, and became this, this whole characterization of this guy who, uh, you know, this aristocrat who still plays music or it's the only thing that he can do. Uh, so in nightclubs, I just started um, showing up as Ronaldo, playing nose, you know, flute through my nose or popping balloons in my pants or, you know, uh, making whoopee cushy cushion sounds in the middle of Baudelaire poems and, uh, and then put a piece of like music in there that really, really meant something that uh, took a long, long time for me to be able to uh, perform or perfect and, uh, or songs that really uh, did speak to, to major issues. So you never knew what you were going to get. Um, and then the, so therefore, everybody pays attention because it's just fun to watch like a roller coaster. If you know every single corner and turn, it's no longer exciting.
0: Well, this first thing you're going to play for us, what, what would this be categorized as?
11: Uh, this is just a song I wrote. It's the latest song I wrote. kind of expresses some of how I feel about being stalked. Life is, is really weird, and, and I think primarily we uh, make it weird for ourselves. I mean, maybe it's, it's a simple thing, but we have created all these triangles. And so it's just a, it's just a song. It's just a poem. Uh, like, a, what do I call it, a leader for the postmodern. It
7: might not make you happy finally show me To finally show me It might not make you too happy At least you're gonna know me You're gonna know me. Ooh, you got a little baby in your arms, a suitcase of jam.
0: Before we start the interview, you mentioned that uh, as as much as this is kind of like an anti-theater piece in some ways, that you've had a lot of theater fans who are really attracted to the show.
11: Yeah, I mean, we make fun of everybody, or at least I do, Um, and I guess I make fun of myself because I am the people that I, you know, as far as being an actor or a composer, I'm not a dancer, though I do pretend to dance, and um, we make fun of martial arts. Anybody who makes puts themselves as being important like a priest or anybody, it's just like you're in our crosshairs, we're coming after you, and I think it's uh, it's just just fun as hell, you know, it's... everyone takes themselves so seriously and usually those aren't the, you know, the deepest cats. Anyway, you're in our crosshairs. We're coming after you. Let's hear another instrumental from the show that you're going to play. What's this one called? This is a, um, this is a choro, um, which means in Brazil, Brazilian, uh, to cry. Um, and it was popular, um, choro bands like Lobos was a, a choro player and, uh, it's the folk music of, of Brazil and, uh, it's, it's written by Anonymous and so I've play whatever Anonymous left for us.
0: Mr. Grinaldo, what brought you around to writing this kind of a piece as a playwright and actor altogether? Sure.
11: Well, the phone rang and uh, and someone said you you have an opportunity uh, to do this. Uh, it's we want to do it. This was, was three-legged dog saying uh, we lo- you know. I, I they have seen my my work. I I'd, you know I had done some shows uh, there. I've been a composer and an actor for that company. It was just the right timing and. You know, you hear people say that all the time. I mean, of course, I've been doing this for years, for like decades, and uh, clowning and acting and and eating out of cans and sleeping in cars and all of that. Uh, And so, you know, so finally, like, it got offered to do this show. You know, but I mean, I sweep the theater. I, I, I wash out my own coffee cup. And others, too. Uh, But that's how it happened. Just being in the right place at the right time, having the material ready to go. Like Ellington says, be ready for the gig. So if you're caught up in some weird stuff, get out of it. You know, if you're not practicing, start practicing. That's all. That's all that happened. You know, you take a step to the mountain, and the mountain takes a step towards you. I hope that answers your question.
0: So now The Curse of Mr. Grinaldo is running currently through April 28th. It's
11: Fridays and Saturdays? That is correct. Fridays and Saturdays, Saturdays at 10 o'clock. They can go right to the, to the nightclub or go to aldoperez.com. Uh, my band Psycho the Clown plays in this show. We also are a resident company at the Living Room Nightclub. Every other Saturday night we're there. Aldoperez.com will get you to threeleggeddog.org. And there you go. And come on down.
0: All right, well, I want to thank you for joining us before the show. Thank and you, Michael. before we go, we're going to hear one last song from the show. And what's, the, what's this one?
11: Uh, this is a, a little piece of uh, um, Carlos Gardel's um, inspired version of La Comparacita, a tango.
0: All right, well, thank you.
11: Thank you.
7: Si supiera, como dentro de mi alma, conserva aquel cariño. E tuve para ti. Quién sabe si supiera, te nunca te he olvidado. Volviendo a tu pasado, acordará de mí. Si ya no viene, si ni quiera visitarme. Nadie puede consolarme en mi aflicción. Desde el día que te fuiste, siento angustias en mi pecho. Te fíjate, canta, ¿qué ha hecho? De mi pobre, corazón. Go- The trades.
0: Top of the Trades is brought to you by BroadwayWorld.com News. Check them out for more news, updating all the time, every day. First up, the American Theatre Wing will honor Carol Channing, James Earl Jones, and Tommy Toon at its annual Spring Gala on Monday, June fourth, two 2007. The event will take place on Soprani 42nd Street with a cocktail reception at 6.30pm and dinner at 7.30pm. Proceeds from the event benefit the American Theatre Wing's continuing efforts in support of theatrical education and excellence. And uh, given the guests, I hear that they wisely chose to not call it the king and queens of (laughs) theatre. On Thursday, May 10th, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels composer, lyricist David Yazbek will head to Joe's Pub for a concert. So don't miss this rare appearance by one of the most strangely talented musicians around. If you only know Yazbek from his hit Broadway shows, The Full Monty and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, be prepared for a mind-blowing experience. In fact, you'd better wear a helmet. Yazbek's incendiary piano playing and singing have not only earned him a slavish cult following, but his latest band is a gathering of some of the best players in the city. Join them as they play songs from his upcoming album, State Press Notes. The show is at 7.30 p.m., and tickets are $25. Oh, and if only the show came out on Tuesdays, I would have scooped it because I had the dirt when we did the interview last Wednesday. So as uh, Celia hinted before in the interview, it's now official. The 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee makes its Los Angeles premiere at the Wadworth Theatre, and it will do so with the musical's original Broadway cast, including Tony Award winner Dan Fogler, ah, a previous interviewee on Broadway Bullet, as William Barfay. Presented by Broadway LA, the four-week engagement at the Wadsworth located on the Veteran Administration Grounds in Brentwood will run May 24th through June 17th with an official opening May 27th. The entire original Broadway cast, who originated the roles at off broadway second stage, will take part in the limited run. Oh, and if only I could say scoop! Oh, it would have been so great to say scoop. <laughs> on a more serious note, Kenneth Jones writes for Playbill... That the Paper Mill Playhouse, the not-for-profit New Jersey theater that has presented shows so lavishly and starry that the troupe was sometimes mistaken for a commercial house, is in dire straits. A spokesman for the Millburn, New Jersey theater confirmed that the doors there may shut as early as April 6th if $1.5 million cannot be raised to support the launch of its next production, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Although the theater's accumulated debt is nowhere near the property value of Paper Mill, the doors will shut if payroll cannot be met for Seven Brides, which is part of the theater's subscription season summer production of Pirates is also threatened. A bankruptcy attorney has been hired. A bank loan to keep the 69-year-old operation going fell through recently, and a reapplication process is being pursued. Subscription issues are one part of the financial problem at Paper Mill. In 1985, the theater under Angelo Del Rossi was rich and happy due to its 45,000 subscribers. Mirroring a national trend, the subscribership has seriously waned. It's now 19,500, a spokesman said. Historically, the board at the paper mill has either not had the ability to get outside contributions or has not seen the need due to the once-high subscribership. But uh, they need to figure out something now. For more on this story, check out Kenneth Jones' article at Playbill.com. You can also find a link to that from the Volume 109 show notes at BroadwayBullet.com. That's it for this week's headlines. We'll be bringing you more of theater news hot stories next week in Top of the Trades. Curtain Call. All right, next week we're going to have an interview with Tony winner, Karen Ziemba. She won Best Supporting Actress for Contact, that uh, show that was kind of a surprise success a few years back. She is now appearing in the new Candor and Ebb musical, Curtains, uh, she has a long time history doing Canner and Ebb stuff now, so we'll be talking a bit about that as well. And I must make a retraction. Uh, last week I accidentally, when I talked about posthumously, inferred that John Canner was dead as well. Fred Ebb has passed away, unfortunately, but John Canner is still with us. Still very much with us. In fact, I understand that Marty Cooper was sitting next to him at the premiere for Curtains. So I want to thank listener Janice Perrit, who pointed out that error to me so I could correct it. Thank you very much. If any of you would like to email me about anything, how much you like the show, a correction or what you'd like to hear on it, anything. I'd definitely love to hear from you. It gives me a great feeling to hear from the listeners. You can just email me at info at broadwaybullet.com. And this week I will be sending out notices to the winners of the Fan Yangtastic Broadway Bullet Birthday Bubble Blowout Contest to go see the show for free uh, with me for my birthday party and join me afterwards. So, uh, I hope you're all going to be excited. Uh, You still might have a day or so to get registered on BroadwayBullet.com. And I'm eager to see everybody's reaction to the poll on who should be best actress in a musical. Well, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and until next week, I thank you for catching a ride with me on the Broadway Bullet. Well, I wouldn't
1: want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all.
10: I see one more
2: Christmas carol
0: regionally.
10: That
1: Dickens hey. has made enough money and me up. Many minutes trying to sell myself it's so no ch- shame. Ch- 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 yeah. But we kept all the jokes that made people laugh from before. You know, the ones that didn't.
9: Because Rent is about much more than just friendship,
2: love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like.
5: Like once you're working there, people are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different.
2: I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything.
0: So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs.